From an Iraq war cover-up to towns ravaged by opioids to the roots of our modern immigration crisis, Embedded explores what's been sealed off and undisclosed. NPR's original investigative podcast reveals why these stories and the people behind them matter. Listen to the Embedded podcast only from NPR. Saludos a nuestros oyentes. Este episodio es en español e inglés. Bienvenidos and welcome to Democracy Vibe Track. This episode will be in English and Spanish. Soy Gabriel Cruz, and my civic superpower is nurture. We're going to head over to a virtual exhibition of Presente from the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Latino later this episode. But first, this is Democracy Vibe Check, your guide to civic season, where we encourage you to discover your story while uniting our country's oldest federal holiday, the 4th of July, with the newest, Juneteenth. Part of that means learning what your civic superpower is. You can find the link to the quiz in the show notes. Si quieren saber su civic superpower, visiten el enlace en las notas del episodio. I'm here with my wonderful co-hosts, Cameron and Maggie. Hey, you two. Hi. Hi, Gabriel. <laughs> Both of you have clicked the link and taken the quiz. Uh, remind me again what your civic superpowers are. I am an amplifier. And I am a defender. Last week, we talked about amplifiers with Cameron and Maggie. You're in luck. Today, we're going to talk about defenders. Woo! To our listeners, please do take our civic superpower quiz and share your results with us. Click on the Share with Civic Season link in the show notes to be a part of our final episode. We want to know your superpower, how you plan to use it, and how you relate to any of the historical figures who share your superpower. Y definitivamente queremos su misión en español también. Por favor, tomen el quiz y después sigan el enlace Compartir con Civic Season en las notas del episodio para ser parte de nuestro último episodio. Queremos saber su superpoder cómo van a usarlo y cómo se relacionan a las figuras históricas que comparten su superpoder. Antes de nuestra visita virtual a la exhibición presente, quiero mencionar otra figura histórica, cuyo legado es ejemplar de nuestro Defender Civic Superpower, Silvia Rivera. Silvia fue una defensora de los derechos LGBTQ en Nueva York durante el movimiento de liberación gay en los 1960 y 70, aun cuando en ese momento el movimiento no era muy inclusivo de las personas trans. Rivera tuvo una niñez difícil. A temprana edad comenzó a experimentar con el maquillaje y la moda, pero fue golpeada en su casa y castigada en la escuela por expresar su identidad de género. A los 11 años, Rivera se escapó de su casa, pero tuvo dificultad encontrando ayuda, ya que no existían muchos recursos para los jóvenes LGBTQ en esa época. En el 1970, Rivera, junto a su compañera activista trans Marsha P. Johnson, creó una organización para ayudar a la juventud LGBTQ proveyéndoles alojamiento seguro, ropa, comida y comunidad. Rivera pasó el resto de su vida defendiendo a las personas LGBTQ, especialmente a las personas trans de color. Before our visit to the virtual exhibit presente, I want to mention another historical figure whose legacy embodies our Defender Civic Superpower, Sylvia Rivera. Sylvia was a fierce defender of trans rights in New York City during the gay liberation movement in the 60s and 70s, which at the time was not very inclusive of trans people. I do not believe in a revolution, but you all do. I believe in the gay power. I believe in us getting our rights, or else I would not be out there fighting for our rights. That's all I wanted to say to your people. 
Rivera herself had a difficult childhood. At a young age, she began experimenting with makeup and fashion and was beaten at home and punished in school for expressing her gender identity. At age 11, Rivera ran away from home, but struggled to find help since there weren't many resources for LGBTQ youth at the time. In 1970, Rivera teamed up with a fellow trans activist, Marsha P. Johnson, to create an organization to help LGBTQ youth. Their organization provided safe housing, clothing, food, and community, and Rivera spent the rest of her life speaking up for LGBTQ people, especially trans people of color. In cada episodio de Democracy Vibe Check, presentamos voces asociadas con Civic Season de todas las partes de los Estados Unidos. Expertos, líderes en sus comunidades y también tu voz. En este episodio, Ronald Wooderman con el Smithsonian Latino se une a nosotros para hablar sobre su superpoder presente y el Museo Nacional del Latino Estadounidense. Every episode of Democracy Vibe Check features voices connected to Civic Season from across the country. Experts, community leaders, and even you. In this episode, Ronald Wooderman with the Smithsonian Latino Center joins to talk about his superpower, Presente, and the National Museum of the American Latino. My name is Ronald Wooderman. I'm the Exhibitions Director at the National Museum of the American Latino. Supposedly, my civic superpower is um, nurturing, but I find that a little hard to believe. Para serles honesto, no, no, como que no cuadra con mi... I'm a Scorpio, so that's a little hard for me to believe. However, I am really happy that this uh, civic superpower does align with a personal hero of mine and many Latinos who are into cultural work, and that is the Puerto Rican librarian, Pura Belpre. She's the first uh, Puerto Rican librarian in the uh, New York City public uh, library system, and she was a puppeteer, a folklorist, a writer who is really interested in um, connecting you know, Puerto Rican children in particular, with their sense of heritage and um, also giving them a sense of ownership of their local cultural institutions. And uh, the principal came in as I was beginning my story. And when I finished, he said he had rushed. He had been at the Board of Education. He had rushed back because he didn't want to miss me because he owed me an apology. And he said, remember when I, you first came here and I said, the ch these children came here with nothing? I was the one who came here with nothing. They had everything within themselves that I did not know anybody, any, anyhow, and which you have made it so clear to me. So I thought that was a great big thing for the um, services that we give. And I'm sure that we could multiply that not only in school, but in different centers, because this work that is being done by the South Bronx project should never stop. So that's um, a big deal, and I think kind of echoes the, the kind of values of the National Museum of the American Latino. Presente, a Latino history of the United States, is the first exhibit of the National Museum of the American Latino. And it's the first exhibit ever, ever, ever that anyone's ever seen that tells the national story of U.S. Latinos articulating our different community, regional stories and identities together and centering them in U.S. history. Basically taking our tack from the National Museum of African American History and Culture that said, hey, you need to look at our perspectives 
and look at U.S. history through our lens in order to get a fuller picture of U.S. history and fundamentally what it means to be American. And it's multidisciplinary, so it taps into history, contemporary art, sociology, anthropology, archaeology even. It tells a really broad story. Um, and so we have a virtual tour. It really gives you a lot, uh, tries to reproduce as much as is possible on a, a web-based experience, what it's like to be there in person. So we have a lot of object-based learning opportunities. We have some features that you can't see in the gallery, but you can only see online, which are 3D scans of objects that are manipulatable. But there are also videos, you know, with people like Cheech Marin, the famous uh, comedian from the Cheech and Chong movies, who is one of the major Chicano art collectors and who just opened up a museum called The Cheech with the Riverside Art Museum dedicated to Chicano art. So there is his biography and who would have known that his dad was a cop? That was um, shocking to me. In addition to all the amazing things he has to say about like, hey, my identity is a Chicano vis-a-vis other Latinos in the United States and kind of coming together around this um, shared identity. Now, let me go back to one of the most impactful objects that you can see on the virtual tour, and that is a Cuban raft, a balsa, from 1992. It was scanned uh, with, you know, a 360-degree scan that you can manipulate via, you know, a particular viewer on the virtual tour where you can sort of flip it around and see it from different angles. And this raft, which was used, it's, it's basically a, a boat made out of styrofoam. At its core, it has a wooden frame, but it's basically styrofoam held together by tar, tarp, shower curtain, and two Cuban men who made it, we don't know their names, but they made it alive, basically rode this boat from uh, Cuba to Florida in 1992. And it's yes, it's a particular Cuban-American story that speaks to the exodus of Cubans uh, leaving the island at the time, escaping the political repression, you know, the dictatorship, the deep economic crisis. But it's also an object that speaks to uh, human migration, the oldest uh, human story, and also to contemporary times. I mean, the experiences of people uh, crossing the Mediterranean and or fleeing Syria or the Ukraine. So it's a very powerful object, and it speaks to so many of our immediate family experiences or ancestral experiences. I definitely encourage folks to check it out online. Presente did a number of commissions from artists to support the stories in the exhibit, and one of them is a video that was commissioned from Alberto Ferreira's called Somos, which in Spanish means we are. And one of the burdens we have as a museum is explaining to people just like what exactly do we mean by Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latine, Hispanic, Boricua, Chicano, Chicano with an X, etc., etc., etc. Because we are essentially this, you can call it like this ethnic national federation of peoples who are in the United States with who basically descend from the you know, experience of being colonized by Spain and Portugal. And there's a lot more I could say about that also in terms of overlaps with different places in the Caribbean. But basically, since I spent, you know, just I feel like a million years talking about it, people want and expect an explanation like, what is Latino versus Hispanic? So media, things like video, um, and especially video of people speaking in their own words from people who identify as Latino from different backgrounds, 
giving you that explanation really help on the one hand break that down for visitors in the sense of conveying all the different nuances that go with it in terms of like uh, you know, if they, if uh, all Latinos are bilingual or not, if Brazil fits in there, uh, issues around like race and colorism and, and regional identity and generational identity, all these factors that play into this complex thing we call Latinhood. Um, this video, Somos, really helps visitors on the one hand make sense of it and helps Latinos who see it walk away being like, wow, there really is some, something there. Um, when I say I feel connected to as a Venezuelan American to like somebody, somebody from El Salvador or somebody from Cuba or somebody from Bolivia, you know, it's not just for political stakes. It's really because I feel as if there are these overlapping heritage and sort of cultural threads that connect us. And let me also say we're also really conscious of it also being a construct that we're a part of and are interested in reinforcing that sense of identity and common uh, heritage um, in an equitable way. There's never been a single moment where there's been one label that has fit comfortably for all the people that make up what we're calling the national U.S. national Latino community. So we should lean, in, lean into that fluidity and that constant capacity for uh, change and, um, and uh, evolution and maybe even progress. Well, a lot of people ask us who are the, who's the Molina family, the individuals that gave the big gift that made this initial gallery possible. And this is the first space of the National Museum of the American Latino. So this was a major uh, breakthrough for us. And they are, this gift was done in honor of uh, the, their parents, the children um, honoring Dr. C. David Molina and his wife, Mary. And one of the reasons why this gift is so important and such a landmark in terms of thinking about Latino philanthropy nationally is that we have to build this museum and it's going to cost, you know, probably around a billion dollars. Uh, the agreement to create this museum was that the federal government would contribute half of that money and that we would have to raise the rest of it. Creating and furthering a sense of a national Latino community where we're really looking beyond our own flags and our own regions and our own local needs, it's, I think, really going to affirm that this Latino community as a nation is real and ready to go to the next level um, because we have to com all come behind this project and that kind of um, philanthropy is at a national level for us as Latinos has never been done before. Ese fue Ronald Wooderman con el Smithsonian Latino Center. After listening to Ranald talk about the importance of the National Museum of the American Latino and the philanthropy that made it possible, we asked Carolina Ramos from the Latin American Association to check out Presente and reflect on what being a Latina in the United States means to her. Después de hablar con Ranald sobre la importancia del Museo Nacional Latino Estadounidense, le pedimos a nuestra amiga Carolina Ramos de la Asociación de Latinoamérica que visitara Presente y reflexionara sobre qué significa ser Latina en los Estados Unidos. My name is Carolina Ramos. I am the Director of Advocacy and Outreach at the Latin American Association here in Georgia. I am a first-generation citizen. My family is from El Salvador, and I have been living in Georgia for the last five years, really immersed in the Latino culture here, in the history, in the community. So my results of the civic quiz were, it was half and half. Uh, the main one was nurture, and then the other one was connector. 
I consider myself Latina, mainly because that's just the terminology growing up and being a first-generation citizen here and my parents being immigrants. I never really saw people that looked like me on TV. And then when I finally did, it was Eva Longoria, it was America Ferreira, and it was Latina. And those were the first kind of people that I saw myself in, and they called themselves Latina. And so I've always called myself that, recognizing that there are other ways that people identify themselves. When I'm in El Salvador, it's different. Uh, I don't call myself Latina. I just call myself Salvadoreña um, or Salvatruca. Definitely two different types of identity uh, in terms of what I would call myself here versus in El Salvador. Being Latina here represents so much hope to me, especially since, again, I haven't seen many people that look like me in positions of power or even in history. And so seeing history happen in real time, like in America Ferreira, being on a sitcom on ABC was a huge thing. And so that represents dreams and sacrifice. And then the other part of me is being Salvadorian, uh, recognizing that my parents had to flee a country that they loved very dearly and come here. And they don't call themselves really Latinos. They say, yo soy salvadoreño o salvadoreña. As I've grown here in the United States, I've seen more and more representation, more and more different cultures within Latinx and being Latino or Latina of different countries and us starting to really be in our own of what that means, whether you're Mexican or Puerto Rican, we're not so much assimilating anymore as we are of embracing it and sharing it with the whole world. One thing that I've seen in the last 10 years of my life and in this country is the want for more people to tell their stories, whether that's on podcasts or on a Netflix show or whether it's a movie like Encanto, you know, we've seen such a different shift. And when I was growing up, I didn't see that. And so now it makes me so proud that all these different cultures within the Latino community or Latin America and Central America really want to showcase who they are. Now to be Latino in America, even though, of course, there's so many struggles, it's hey, we're, we're making our name known, we're making our presence known, and we're letting people know that we've been here, we've been doing the work, and we deserve to be acknowledged. Having Presente at a Smithsonian Museum is first amazing, um, just because, like I said earlier, I've never really seen our community in history books or mentioned, or if it is, it's very briefly and not enough in in depth. And so for a lot of people, they believe that Latinos have not been here very long. And yes, we are a much larger population now and are continuing to grow, but we've been here for quite some time. And so having that now be an exhibition where people can walk in, it's incredible because now people can say, okay, I'm starting to understand them a little bit more, or I want to learn more about this. And so it's truly, I'm in awe, really. 
that that's becoming a reality. In our cultures, we're taught to really share with each other or give to one another, whether they're in your family or in your pueblo, back home, even in our communities here, right? And so I think that's one thing that people need to understand. We've always been philanthropic as a community. Now, when people reach a certain status or have um, funding or money, I think it's really incredible because it also shows us as a community, hey, we can get to that status. Um, a lot of our community are immigrants and, you know, we're fighting day to day to make ends meet. But then you hear, hey, there's a Latino family who gave X amount of money to showcase our history that is really inspiring for us. And it's like, okay, there are people in our community who are making it and maybe I won't, but maybe my kids will, or maybe I will too one day. You know, it's sort of a dream that we're going to continue to strive for. Muchas gracias a Carolina Ramos por compartir su historia. Esperemos que se sientan inspirados a visitar Presente. Estamos de vuelta. Este es Democracy Vibe Check, un podcast de WABE y Made by Us. Soy Gabriel Cruz. Maggie and Cameron, what are some defenders you identify with? I think one that I admire is Janet McLeod. Um, she was an indigenous activist in Washington state. And again, like I said, it's our nature to try and find that balance, to try and find that harmony. But if you try to balance and harmonize yourself with a system that is out of balance, like the white system, which sees itself as a conquering role, like we conquered the West, We conquered the wilderness. We conquered the hostile savages. We conquered space. All that conquering kind of idea, now you're conquering Zen or whatever it is, you know. If you try to find a balance and a harmony with people who are out of balance and harmony with a way of life, then it kind of drives you crazy. And so she held these protests that were called fish-ins, so kind of a take on sit-in. Um, and it was basically over treaty rights on the Nisqually River in Washington state, where around that time, there was a lot of sports fishing and those type of recreational activities that were happening on this river. And they were depleting the salmon and steelhead populations, even though this river had been an important hotspot for the Native Americans who had been living around that area. The state was basically trying to prevent the indigenous people from using the river because of the decreasing populations. And so Janet McLeod sort of led this protest to help the indigenous people in that area reclaim their treaty rights to the river. So she really was on the ground, you know, was risking arrest and all of these other obstacles to civic engagement in order to, you know, defend what she felt was rightful for her people. Yeah, that's a really good example of a defender. How mm -hmm. about you, Maggie? Yeah, being a defender, honestly, I'm proud in the way that I show up and how other defenders show up. And, you know, that can look like volunteering, door knocking, lobbying, uh, rallying, organizing protests, and just having that energy of, let's get active around this issue. 
Um, let's mobilize people. Let's just be on the front lines. And when we think about the work that Harriet Tubman did, uh, I mean, the Underground Railroad, like, come on, we're, we're talking about uh, slaves who are escaping for freedom. And Harriet Tubman is that support system, is the woman who is trying to lead black people to freedom. So being a defender means, you know, putting your life on the line for something that you truly believe in. Yeah, I totally agree. And there were definitely some defenders that showed up in our virtual tour of Presente. I'm thinking of people like Luisa Capetillo, a labor organizer and feminist in Puerto Rico at the turn of the 20th century, and uh, modern-day indigenous climate activist, Chide Scala Martinez. Every living system on our planet. I saw that climate change was going to be the defining issue of our time. Seeing this world, seeing my world collapsing around me, pushed me into action. So for the last nine years, since I was six years old, I've been on the front lines of climate and environmental movements, standing up to fight for my future and for our planet. What a lot of people fail to see or simply ignore is that climate change isn't an issue that is far off in the future. It isn't solely affecting- At Presente, we get to explore a different uh, historical context for Latin America. And I know that's something that is not present in most U.S. history classes. I know for a fact uh, in Puerto Rico, we have a whole year dedicated to Puerto Rican history, whereas in the U.S. history courses, it might just be a blurb in a paragraph. Uh, and for me, that's a very important part for this virtual exhibit to showcase the context of the Latin American history. Cameron, Maggie, anything that resonated with you from the exhibit? Yeah, just going off what you said, I think an important part of this history is the breadth of it, because there are so many different types of Latin American experiences. I mean, one thing that they say on the website is there is no singular Latino experience. Right. Um, and, you know, we see that on the language level with, you know, different Puerto Rican Spanish sounds different than Mexican Spanish, for example. And we see that with it, the history, too. We have a Puerto Rican side of our American story, but there's also, you know, back during expansionism in the United States, there's a Mexican-American story too. So I think the exhibit did a really great job sort of highlighting the breadth of those experiences and being able to show that it's not a monolith of experiences. That is showcased a lot in the Somos video. That's part of the virtual exhibit. You can check out a short clip of it online. It highlights that being a Latino is not a singular experience. It's not. It's more of an amalgamation of your culture and and the people that you speak with and where you live, and a singular definition is just not going to cut it. Yeah, I love the representation and education around Latin American history. You know, like a lot of us don't receive that extensive lesson on the role Latin Americans play in U.S. history, like Gay mentioned. So this exhibit is perfect to educate ourselves. It's really important to have exhibits like this provide full context of Latin American history and how it applies to the U.S. So you can find a link to both the Spanish and English versions of Presente in the show notes of this episode. Pueden encontrar un enlace a la exhibición de Presente en español e inglés en las notas de este episodio. Bueno, Maggie and Cameron, ¿ya terminamos? ¿Are we done? Not quite yet. Now, y'all know I'm a defender, so how are you guys going to work on your defender skills this week? One thing that I've always wanted to do is canvas. I don't know if I can do that this week, but I have always wanted to be like a go-getter and knocking on doors, and I just haven't had the opportunity. 
yet, but that's something I would really like to try in the future. So Maggie, I'll hit you up for that. Yes. <laughs> <a> yeah. <laughs> Likewise, I think I'll peruse some local events happening and see if I can join in. Remember, we want to hear from you. Click on the Share With Civic Season link in the show notes to be a part of our final episode. We want to know your superpower, how you plan to use it, and how you relate to any of the historical figures who you share your superpower with. Y por favor, queremos voz en español también. Tomen el Civic Superpower Quiz y después sigan el enlace Compartir con Civic Season en las notas del episodio para encontrar todos los métodos que pueden compartir con nosotros. Queremos saber su superpoder, cómo van a usarlo y cómo se relacionan a las figuras históricas con cuales comparten su superpoder. Ok, por fin terminamos. That's a wrap. How are we celebrating Civic Season next time? Volunteering! There are so many ways to get involved and give back to your community and we'll help you find them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Democracy Vibe Check is a co-production of Made by Us and WABE. Our producer is Kevin Rinker. Additional producing and editing from Scotty Crow with original music by Matt Owen. To get your civic season started, build your list of activities at thecivicseason.com. And if you want to keep up with all things civic season, be sure to follow at History Made by Us on social media. Thank <laughs> you.